You have questions? We have answers. We're two Southern moms on the backside of raising kids. And we have some things to say. We've lived life, made mistakes, and learned some lessons. Join us for answers to the questions you, you just, just want to ask your mom. mom. Welcome to another Just Ask Your Mom podcast. I'm Bonnie Blaylock. And I'm Renee Sproles. We were invited to do a women's retreat or women's conference afternoon a couple of weeks ago. And this is part two of that series that we did. And it's on abundance. Uh, this time it's going to be abundance in suffering. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that sounds counterintuitive. Sounds ominous and all. <laughs> but our verse that we're talking about is from John 10. 10, where Jesus says that he came, that we can have life. And have it to the full. Yep. Even when we're grieving. Even when your heart's broken. Even when we've been betrayed or my health is threatened. Yep. I think there's even abundance then. I think that God can re redeem and restore whatever is broken, no matter how shattered it is. And he can restore the years the locusts have eaten. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's worth noting that worship and wailing sound the same. One comes from what God has already done. And the other comes from what we long for him to do. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, when we're wanting a prodigal to come back home, when we're wanting a marriage to be healed, when we want to remove a thorn or a curse, that joyful worship and sorrowful repentance and anguished pleading, all of those are gorgeous sounds in the house of the Lord. Yeah, and depending on which stream of Christianity you're in, you may tend to stay away from the highs and the lows. From the morning and the dancing, you might be too afraid to cry or too shy to dance. We we kind of get all scrunched up. We get all um, hunched over and bent. Mm -hmm. Kind of narrow-minded. I call it um, pinched up <laughs> in our spirit. We get all yeah. pinched up in our spirit. We might uh, become a little bit of complainer. We might avoid pain or in the process avoid true joy. That's right. And while we live in a world subject to the evil one, we belong to God. So we need to mourn and we need to dance. Mm -hmm. I agree. So, okay. How can we find abundance in suffering rather than just suffering abundantly? That's the question for this episode. And as, <laughs> how does that work exactly? <laughs> because, okay, right. Because what is our American Western view of abundance? It's worth just rehashing. I think we did it in our first episode. Yeah, but. I think our I think what we think of generally is everything's smooth sailing, everything's happy, you know, not a problem. Yes. The pantry's full, the garage has two cars in it. Mm -hmm. The bank account's good. Yeah, we got our stuff. Everybody's good and healthy. Mm -hmm. It's all working well. Right. So, um, okay. So it's worth just looking around at the world God gave us to get a little understanding here. God has built clues about stress into the natural world. And my favorite thing in the natural world, Bonnie, you know this, is trees. Oh, yeah. They're awesome. I love trees. I don't even, even an ugly scrawny tree, I don't even want to cut it down. I want to just let it try and grow and do its <laughs> best. Um, and trees, interestingly, love stress unless they're very old or very young. Okay. So similar to a human muscle that thrives with activity and declines with inactivity, so do wood and tree limbs. So there's this really interesting experiment that we have done in the U.S., and it's called the Biosphere Tool. No, okay. Biosphere 2. 
And it's a cool, slightly kooky idea. Um, It's located in Oracle, Arizona, and it's a research facility. Its mission is to serve as a center for research, outreach, teaching, and lifelong learning about the earth, its living systems, and its place in the universe. So it's a three-acre structure originally built to be an artificial, materially closed ecosystem. It remains the largest closed ecological system ever created. Like a dome. Yeah. So think of it as a large or a giant terrarium. Like a terrarium. Yeah. Are people in it? Um, well, yeah, they have to go in and out of it. Okay. Um, so um, it's like, yeah, it's like one huge terrarium science experiment. Okay. But for our purposes, we can think of it as a really overprotected childhood. So, the trees planted in the biosphere, too, initially grew way faster than they would in the wild, in nature. So, we can think of the trees maybe as like SAT scores or some kind of extracurricular prowess, like really good at sports. And then, well, what happened to these trees, you ask, Bonnie? (laughs) What happened to the trees, Renee? (laughs) They would not completely mature. Before they could mature, they collapsed. They fell in on themselves. And later it was found this was caused by the lack of wind in the biosphere. Hmm. As it turns out, wind plays a major role in the life of a tree. The presence of wind makes a tree stronger so it can mature and not fall down under its own weight. Interesting. So that's an overprotected childhood. Ponder me that. So here's a bit more detail about what actually happens when trees don't get the chance to deal with everyday problems. Wind. When plants and trees grow in the wild, the wind constantly keeps them moving. This causes a stress in the wooden load-bearing structure of the tree. So to compensate, the tree manages to grow something called reaction wood or stress wood. The stress wood usually has a different structure and is able to position the tree where it's going to get the best light and other optimum resources. So a little bit of stress toughens the tree and teaches the tree how to take care of itself. It gets what it needs to survive and Mm. thrive. You see where I'm headed here? Yes. No stress, no stress wood, no ability to deal with life. And the trees aren't just weathering the stress, they're actually benefiting Right. From the stress. Right. So we got to change our definition of what an abundant life in Christ looks like. Right. It's not abundant to fall over just after you've started growing. Right. Even though it's protected and sort of safe and, you know, you get all the nutrients that you need in there. That's not abundant. It's not abundant. It's not what we're thinking in our culture. Yeah. Every baby starts out drinking milk, but you don't see 15-year-olds walking around only drinking formula. Right. So... Jesus says, just to remind you, he says that those who come in through him will be saved. Wherever they go, they will find green pastures. Wherever they go, yeah, they will find green pastures. He came to give us abundant life. So what's more stressful than change? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Some of us love change, I think. There's certain personalities, I think, that deal with it better than others. Oh, absolutely. You're right. Some do really like it. Um, But I've always heard that the only person that loves change is a wet baby. (laughs) Well, we women, we're actually experts at change. We should be. Yeah. Our bodies remind us of it. We go from our changing bodies Mm -hmm. at 12 and 13 and 14 to this monthly reminder of it. Mm -hmm. We change our names when we get married. 
incredibly our bodies change with pregnancy and delivery of a baby. Hello, Kegels. <laughs> Looking at you. And then where we currently are, they actually just call it the change. Yeah. Looking at you, menopause. <laughs> the pause and the minnow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and if you're raising kids, you know that they seem to be in a constant timeline of change and transition. There's always growth spurts. Yeah. Right? Then you got to deal with the mobility. Starting school, learning to read. And caregiving does fall to women many, many times where the health of our parents or someone we love fails and they're aging, we deal with the change that comes as our roles reverse. Right. And it was, it was women, as we know from Jesus in the tomb, who traditionally prepared and dressed the bodies for burials and funerals when that ultimate life change came around. So if there's any group who should be familiar and comfortable with change, it's women. Mm-hmm. So why are we so resistant to it? Why does it always seem so surprising and painful? I don't know. Why does it? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, it's like anything with suffering, you know, we're, it's doubly hard when we're surprised by it. Yeah. So, you know, if you can just remind yourself that, you know, every civilization except ours kind of just thought, hey, life is going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it would we would do well to you know replace the lie that something's wrong when things are hard with the truth that um, how I weather this um, is going to make me stronger. That I can that this is actually part of the abundant life Jesus was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, that the going out and finding pasture. Uh, we've said it again and again, the pastures aren't always already green. He says, you will find green pasture. Mm-hmm. But I have to think that, you know, all those Psalms that talk about streams in the wasteland and um, your tears falling in the valley of weeping, that, that that's part of the watering that brings the green pastures. That's part of what brings the abundance. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Jesus will use that well mm-hmm. to water and bring forth. Mm-hmm. Every tear. He catches every single tear. There's not one single one that drops mm. to the ground that he has not caught in his Absolutely. cup. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we know something about change. You and I fairly recently in the past four or five years been empty nesters, mm-hmm. right? My head was spinning from all the change. Your husband got a new job. Yeah, we decided building. to be yeah. entrepreneurs in our 50s. Uh-huh. What are we thinking? Right. Yeah. We, I, we sold our business, started a whole new Whole new vocations for both of us. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a lot. Yeah. Kids moving out. Getting kids moving married. back in. Po- kids mo- getting married. Having a grandchild. Yeah. Like, this is all within the past. Yeah. Literally what, five years. What did we say? Years. We went from a family of four to a family of seven in like three years. Yeah. That's, we almost doubled our family <laughs> in three years. Yeah. It can be disorienting and kind of put you off kilter a little bit. Yeah. It can. So. Even good stress. To put it in the way my Bible teacher in college would put it, it would behoove us to have a little quiet time for reflection mm. and solitude. Absolutely. Now, lest you say this is not possible for you, <laughs> we understand life is busy and a lot, sometimes really crowded and loud, but everybody can find solitude. Right. Well, can't we relate as women to this issue? In Mark, the first chapter of Mark, Jesus has gone off to find a quiet place. Finally, after doing miracle after miracle after miracle, healing after healing after healing, 
And the apostles come and find him. And they actually say to him, where have you been, Jesus? Everyone is looking for you. So I've heard that personally, myself. I wasn't called Jesus, but (laughs) mom, where have you been? Everyone's Mm -hmm. looking for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're in the bathroom door. I mean, you're in the bathroom and then knock on the door. Yeah, life is busy. And it's hard to find a little bit of time of solitude. So how do we do this? When I was thinking about how I'd want to encourage you um, busy people to do this, Susanna Wesley came to mind. Now, we learned about Susanna Wesley when we were reading through, I don't know, some homeschool curriculum one year. Mm -hmm. And I thought she was fascinating. So she is the mother of the Wesley who started the Methodist Church. Mm -hmm. So she had no small influence, you know, on this amazing man of faith. So let me just tell you a little bit about her. Her organizational and household skills were the stuff of legend. She knew from personal experience that quality one-on-one time with a parent is hard to come by in a family with many children. I think they had like 10 children who lived. Maybe I think she, she birthed maybe 15 or 18. Oh. But um, so here's what she did. She had a rotating schedule through which each of her children spent an hour with her alone before bedtime on a designated night of the week. So they got just time with her. And she somehow found a way to manage her household and give her large brood of children a world-class education that included both classical and biblical learning. Her girls, this is in the 1600s, I think, by the way, 1700s, something like that, way long ago when this was unusual. (laughs) Yeah. Her girls got the same rigorous education as did her boys. And traditionally, girls of that place and time were taught feminine skills like needlework and music before undertaking the most basic education, such as learning to read. She's your girl, Bonnie. Yeah. She was like, <laughs> no, 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 yeah, no. She's this like, is, we are not doing that. Yeah. She's like, this is totally wrong. Her girls were taught the same curriculum as her boys. And among the bylaws by which she ran her home, uh, her homeschool was this, that no girl be taught to work till she can read very well. And then that she be kept to her work with the same application and for the same time that she was held to in reading. This rule also is much to be observed for the putting of children to learn sewing before they can read perfectly is the very reason why so few women can read fit to be heard and never to be well understood. Mm. So school hours were 9 to 2 p.m. No, sorry. They were from 9 to noon and 2 to 5, six days a week. And all but the smallest children completed their assigned chores promptly before the start of the school day. As in many one-room schoolhouses in generations past, the older children helped teach the younger children. But she took her relationship with God as seriously as she did her duties, a wife and a mother. Early in her life, get ready for the conviction bomb. (laughs) Here we go. I'm just going to say it. This one's going to hurt. It's going to hurt a little bit. So just brace yourself. (laughs) She vowed she would never spend more time in leisure entertainment than she did in prayer and Bible study. Think about, ask me if I've not thought about that every time I've turned on Netflix this past week. Right. How many hours uh-huh. in leisure have we uh-huh. spent in a week? Yeah. So In e- a day. Right. So even in her most complex and busy years of life, she scheduled two hours each day for fellowship with God and time in His Word, which means she had no more than two hours of leisure because she was holding herself to that standard. Well, I can believe that with her 10 children and her schedule. And her. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you want to know how she did it sometimes? I mean, it wasn't two hours straight, by the way. 
because this is what she did. Right, here and there. She would carry her Bible with her, and she wore an apron like women did back in the day. Mm -hmm. And so when she was ready to like have some time with the Lord, she went to her favorite chair, threw her apron over her head, like her tent, like a tent of meeting. Yeah. And had her Bible, and she would um, talk to the Lord, read the Bible, talk to Jesus. And she compared this to like the tabernacle days of Moses in the Old Testament. And everybody in the household, the smallest toddler to that domestic helpers, knew to respect this signal. When Susanna was under her apron, she was with God and not to be disturbed, except in the case of the direst emergency. There in the privacy of her little tent, she interceded for her husband and children and plumbed the deep mysteries of God in the scriptures. And she raised amazing children. Wow. Yeah. So, so you, you, you can don't do think it. you have solitude in a day. I ask you, most of you, do you have 10 children? <laughs> Probably not. Are you homeschooling 10 in the children? 1600s. In the 1600s. Probably not. Teaching them to sew and everything else. It's yeah. crazy to me. But I love the ingenious nature of it because my, my, well, not just my in inclination, what I did was carve out time by myself, which is, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Mm -hmm. Remember I told the story, I asked God, when yeah. can I have quiet time with you? And he's like 5 a.m. And I'm like, that's like, not fair. Try again. <laughs> Nobody else has to get up at 5 a.m. because my kids get up so early, all that. So it's good to carve out time by yourself with the Lord. But um, I think I was cordoning off chunks of my day with God mm -hmm. and, and not seeing it as infused like all day Jesus is with me. Right. All day Jesus is my constant companion who I can turn to for advice when I need help with my child. Mm -hmm. Right there I, in that moment. You know, I wonder if uh, the moments that she was able to stop and kind of get alone for a minute. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's probably given her life example. Um, she's probably aware of passing her days with God. Maybe she didn't have as much time and space to hear him. Mm -hmm. So the apron over the head was, a, okay, I need a, some quiet, solitude space mm -hmm. to hear to hear what's next. Yeah. Which is different. Yeah. I think that's different. And that's something that a lot of us, I mean, myself included until mm -hmm. fairly recently, I'm ashamed to say, um, just don't do. We don't bother to do. Yeah, just sit and listen. I uh -huh. think I think um, for a lot of times in my, well, probably all of my 20s and 30s, I thought of prayer as talking, not talking and then listening. Yes. The back and forth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's a great point is there's an element of learning to listen. My sheep know my, my voice. voice. It, mm -hmm. And how do you know the voice unless you've heard it before? How do you know if you, have, if you haven't heard it? How do you know if it's not an imposter? Mm -hmm. You have to know the word. Right. To know, to know if what you're feeling in your head, in your heart, the thoughts that are going through your head, is mm -hmm. that, are those from the Holy Spirit? Your spirit? Mm -hmm. An another spirit that's opposed to God? Right. You got to learn to discern those. What's, yeah. It's never going to speak an untruth to you. It's never going to tear you down in any mm -hmm. way. It's never going to. It'll convict, not shame. That's right. There's a difference. There's mm -hmm. a difference. Um, yeah. It'll comfort, not indulge. You know, there, but you know that when you know the nature of God and the nature of Jesus as revealed in scripture. So there's this, there's this combo of knowing the word and then learning to listen. Yeah. 
And then after practicing it for a while, you can know. I mean, there's knowing and then there's mm-hmm. knowing, remember. You can know when God is speaking to you. Right. Like you can hear it and feel it in your every cell yes. where it's like, oh, yeah, Ooh. that was from you. And like, I'm not denying that. Yes. I'm not going back on that one. And so it's just a good practice. I heard um, uh, one person say one time during a fast, um, it was – it, she was fasting from things like food and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then she was fasting toward things. So things she's praying for or behavior she's wanting to develop. And one of them was during her fast was to immediately, as she sensed God was telling her to do something, to do it without delay, immediately, completely, without challenge and without complaint. Uh-huh. To use our growing kids mm-hmm. lingo. <laughs> I thought, what a fabulous, clever thing to do. For a set period of time, I think it was like three weeks. I'm going to, as soon as I think I'm supposed to do it, I'm going to do it right then. Not as soon as I think I'm supposed to do it. As soon as I think God's telling me to do it, mm-hmm. to put it more clearly. I just love that. It's just practice. It doesn't give you time to back out of it or justify right. it or talk yourself out of mm-hmm. it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so how, what is this? So what does this have to do with suffering? Because what happens when we start to suffer? Well, the lies creep in. Did I do something? Immediately, my like my question to myself is, did I do something to bring this on myself? Hmm. Which, okay, maybe I did. That's interesting that that's your first, because my first tendency would be, oh, why is it me and not them over there? Mm. <sighs> it's a comparison. Mm-hmm. Just different personalities. Just a different, yeah. A different thief that comes, yeah. a different yeah. voice. So, so... Instead of thinking it, thinking of it through the lens of abundance, the lens of that biosphere example, where it's like, oh, wait a second, how am I going to know if, if I'm going to turn the other cheek if someone doesn't offend me? Mm. How am I going to know that um, I entrust myself, body and soul, to God if my body doesn't start to break? That's your stress would. That's your stress would. Yeah. How am I going to know? So it's, um, it's that concept uh, in the secular world. There's a book called Anti-Fragile, mm-hmm. which we've talked about on our podcast before. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea. It's so clever, really. It's, um, it's the idea that certain things benefit from shock. So we've already talked about trees, but it's true for people in sports as well. Oh, yeah. So like a snowboarder, because they have so much experience falling, knows how to fall well so that they're not breaking an arm or a leg mm-hmm. when they fall. Sure. A surfer. Anybody who's ridden horses knows that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing? Yeah. You you taught one of the earliest lessons is how to fall off. Ooh. So do, why, do we not, why do we not hear lessons on how to fall? That's a good question. Because I think, we, I think it's just our it. culture. We're, I just think it's our culture. But falling shouldn't happen. We, we should yeah. fall. We should be somehow, for some reason, protected or, I don't know, happy and safe <laughs> all the time. I'm not sure what planet that happens on, but it's not Earth. No, it's not. And if you look at the Psalms, they're filled with um, the most excellent of self-talk Yeah, when there's suffering. So there's um, like Psalm 94 is a great one where it's talking about how bad things are. 
And then the psalmist starts talking to himself. He says, uh, you who aren't wise, pay attention. Does he who made the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? The Lord knows what people think. Blessed is the person you correct. You give them rest from times of trouble. He will never desert those who belong to him. He's telling himself the truth. Right. So he's not saying the bad stuff's not happening. He's not denying reality. And the Psalms, if you read the Psalms, they are not denying emotion either. You're feeling all that. Mm-hmm. Hey, this this is not feeling great right now. Mm-hmm. I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm oppressed or depressed or anxious or afraid. All of the emotions are still happening. And, and then you get this truth mm-hmm. of, okay, so what is the truth of my situation? You go back to those I ams. Yeah. Who am I in Christ? What mm-hmm. do I have access to? How am I powerful and in what ways? Mm-hmm. How can I plug into the socket of the wall where all that power is coming from and overcome? Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so much more rich. I mean, so I guess I would say there is no abundance without suffering, but suffering doesn't guarantee you're going to live abundantly. A lot of people waste their suffering. Mm. A lot of people um, don't ever get on the other side. You know, like um, how we've read that statistic on our podcast before, how marriages that go through difficult times and and the husband and wife weather it and don't get divorced. Right. They actually rate themselves as happier than than they rated themselves before the trouble came along. Yeah. But that's not always true, right? Because we know not all marriages make it that's on right. the other side of the suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we want to use our suffering. We just want to steward it well. Right. We want to steward it well. And part of stewarding it well is knowing the truth, and then living the truth and talking to yourself. Narrate your life in a way that's truthful. Yeah. Right. And if you need a friend to help you with that, get somebody to help you with that. You got a friend in me. (laughs) You're stuck. Right. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I think um, one thing about this word abundance is that it shares kind of a root with the word abide. Mm. And a lot of times, so many times in the midst of suffering or uncertainty or pain or change, we think, where we feel, there's nothing that I can do. There's nothing to be done. And I think that when we get to that spot, God has us exactly where he's wanted us all along because there's nothing that we can do except abide in him. And that is the very thing that's bringing life to the desert. Yeah, we were real big into um, doing, you know, human doings. Yeah, I like to do things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually prayed that to God. Will you please let me do this, this, and this, this, and this before I die? I really want, Mm. I know you don't have to let me do it, but I really want to do it. And then I get all philosophical on myself and go, but would you be okay if you really just couldn't do anything for God? You just sat with God? Mm Mm-hmm. Because I think part of the the life of abundance is learning to enjoy God and learning to enjoy his company, this abiding that you're talking about. Yep. 100%. It's kind of mysterious. <laughs> yeah. So abide means to remain or stay. I love, I love word counts and word studies. And um, you found, Bonnie, that 50 times John uses some form of this word, abide, dwell, remain, or stay in his gospel. And another word that has this root is abode. 
a home, the place where we live, a permanent residence, not just a VRBO. That's right. We're supposed to be living Mm -hmm. alongside God. So if you say, just do the math and say Jesus spent 12 hours a day for three years with the disciples, that's something like 13,000 hours together. And it's pretty safe to say, if you've read any of the accounts, that they, they weren't catching on all that well. So an hour a day is not really abiding. That's not living with. Yeah. Um, a plant is not going to grow if you dip it in soil once a week. Ooh, that's right? a startling image. <laughs> so we need, yeah. we need that. We need to do more than visit the vine. We need to abide mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, John 15, 5, just few chapters later says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. This is Jesus talking. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Fruit bearing depends on abiding. Abiding is the path to abundant fruitfulness. God calls us to faithfulness and his results are the fruit. Hmm. He like, and by the way, vines have to get pruned to bear fruit. Correct, Hmm. Bonnie? That's right. And pruning is suffering. It's suffering. Yeah, it's just another, it's just built into the world. It's built into the natural world to point us to a truth. It's not, I love su- that. It's not surprising. Shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. We should be expecting it. I think that most of us know that we're in union with Christ, but there's a difference, as we said before, between information mm-hmm. and transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, information and experience. You know, so if you haven't experienced it, then you can just ask for it. You know, you can just, you can just say, Hey God, I need you to make this real to me. Those are prayers he wants to answer. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, our emotions are a terrible indicator of truth. I mean, they're good to get curious about why am I so frustrated? Why am I so angry? Why am I so hopeless? Mm -hmm. But um, our emotions need to be submitted to the truth every time. So, and the truth is in God's word. You know, like the psalmist said in Psalm 94, like, don't say God doesn't hear you. Don't say God doesn't see you. Doesn't, does he who made the ear and the eye not hear what you're saying to him, not hear your cries for help, Mm -hmm. not hear what's really going on in your heart? Of course he does. Right. Yeah. He does just, just submit to that. We are like John, we are the one God loves. We, we are the, are the disciple mm-hmm. God loves. You ever thought of that that way before? We are. We had a friend. Remember um, one of our the I am statements was I'm a saint? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it's like to the saints in Ephesus, right. to the saints in Colossae. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it doesn't say to the sinners saved by grace. It says to the saint. Remember we had a friend who wouldn't, like, who couldn't wrap their mind around that. They weren't comfortable being called a saint. Mm-hmm. Like that's only reserved for the special, special people. Oh, no, 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 no. Step into that. Mm-hmm. That's that's who you are mm-hmm. if you're abiding in Christ. That is the truth yeah. that we read. So um, William Barclay said that it might be that the whole trouble in our lives is that we give God no opportunity to speak to us because we don't know how to be still and listen. We give God no time to recharge us with spiritual energy. That's that revival. And strength because there's no time when we wait upon him. How can we shoulder life's burdens if we have no contact with him who is the Lord of all good life? Yeah, that's such a good quote. I love that. Um, We tend to stare at our lives and glance at God. 
We want to stare at God and then glance back to our lives. Some of us, when we're surviving, visit prayer, but abide in the noise. And I get it. Listen, I've been that person Mm -hmm. abiding in the noise because you're just trying to numb whatever's going on, the pain, the anxiety, Mm -hmm. the disease, whatever. But it's not, it's not a good substitute. That's not going to go well for you. No. Just take it from me. (laughs) I mean, you can learn it yourself or you can just take it from me. That, that abiding and getting quiet and getting curious about why you're doing that is way more productive. Right. Um, yeah, we don't just want to visit the vine. We want to mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. in the vine. So we don't just want to visit scripture and abide in your phone. Right. You want to you live in the word and feast on the word. Like every mm-hmm. meal is you're starving for it. Psalm 46.10 does not say... Be productive and know that I am God. I love that. I just said it was more productive to do da-da-da-da-da. I just set you straight up for that. <laughs> yeah, it's be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. So um, we know women have lots to do. We're busy. We have a lot of responsibilities. Jesus had a lot of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. So he could be literally still and sneak away to the quiet place. And I, I think he carried stillness in him, even in the crowds. Yeah. Even that's the trick. That's where I'm trying to get now. Me too. I can get still. Yay. Yay. I can do that you now, have Bonnie. The time, right? After after so many years of not wanting to be able to just I just couldn't sit. It made me too antsy, mm. anxious. I finally figured it out. Jesus taught me. Holy Spirit, thank you. I can sit with Jesus. I can sit in the quiet and listen. Now I want to carry that with me into the fray. Abundance in suffering. Or abundance from suffering will bring overflowing peace, joy, patience, kindness, hope, mercy, grace. It's for our benefit and it's for giving away. Hmm. Right. And for those of us who are recovering perfectionists, raise your hand. <laughs> we got our hands up, ladies. The keeper togetherers, uh-huh. the list makers, the house runners. Will we receive Jesus? We don't achieve him. Mm. And abundance is not found in striving, in praying harder or serving more. It's simply in abiding and making God our home, receiving the gifts that he is so eager to give. Mm-mm. Good word there. So flip the script on whatever suffering you're going through. If you're telling yourself a wrong story about that, mm. go look in, the, look in the Psalms and see what the psalmist said. Listen, y'all, David was hunted down by Saul. He had somebody hunting him down to kill him. (laughs) He, I mean, yeah, he was fighting the bear and the lion, and then he was fighting Goliath, and then he was running a kingdom. I mean, he had a lot of responsibilities. He did. And he had time to write all this beautiful, he didn't have Instagram, that's why I could write all that beautiful (laughs) poetry. that's why (laughs) Or Facebook. Sure. <laughs> he was a king. He had a few servants to help yes, him out. He had you. some but servants. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. And then he had that woman that slept with him at the end, that young girl. Remember when he was cold and he was dying? Yeah. That's so weird. Why did I say that? I just killed. We're cutting that part out. We just I just <laughs> killed the vibe. hundred percent killed the vibe. But abundance and suffering. They're not mutually exclusive. They're actually connected. Mm-hmm. Intricately connected. 
So check out our website, justaskyourmom.com for resources and things we've mentioned. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and take five seconds to rate and review the podcast and share us with your friends and family. Please send us your topic suggestions to justaskyourmompodcast at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on Just Just Ask Ask Your Mom. Mom.